Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench, everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. Hackers are after your business data. I can help. I am Vi, the virtual intelligence assistant at Virtual Armor. Virtual Armor, partnered with Juniper Networks, provides cybersecurity services and end-to-end solutions to keep what's yours, yours. Defend yourself with managed firewall and managed SIM essential core services that are economical and efficient. Virtual Armor goes beyond just initial alerting to provide a thorough report on threats, vulnerabilities, and results. Let me help protect you. Contact me at JustAskVi. That's V-I dot com. And here we go. My opponent is against oil, guns, and God. I am the Democratic Party right now. 47 years, you've done nothing. Everything Americans value hangs in the balance. We have an obligation under the Constitution to use every arrow in our quiver. This is the most important election in the history of our country. I believe that. This is Devious Motives with Brett Winterbull. It has been a whirlwind week. Think about the way this week began. This week began with uh, President Trump at Walter Reed Hospital getting treated for COVID. And by the end of the week, uh, he's doing a, a virtual rally on the Rush Limbaugh show. And he's ready to go do actual real rallies. And he's saying, I'm not going to do the debate with uh, Vice President Biden. Uh, I'm not doing virtuals. I'm not doing Zooms. I'm not doing any of that kind of stuff. I'm going to go talk to the people. And oh, by the way, just for sad measure, Eddie Van Halen died. I mean, what what a week, right? What a week. But when you think about it, we are living in historic times. It is confusing. It is maddening. It is intensely partisan. And I'm going to start with this right out of the box. I'm going to start with Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. I'm not even going to start with the president. I'm not going to start with the vice president. I'm not going to start with Vice President Pence or Senator Kamala Harris. I'm going to start with uh, Nancy Pelosi, who is just gone like to this weird place that I do not understand. Genuinely, I do not understand this. Uh, I have been concerned about her role of leadership in our country for a very long time. As many of you know or may not know, I spent better than a decade. In fact, it was more than a decade. It was almost like 15 years in California. And uh, I got there in the mid-2000s. And it was wonderful. And by 2010, it got awful and it slid fast downhill. And Nancy Pelosi, you need to understand this, this sort of calculus, if you can, for a quick second. If Vice President Biden and Senator Harris become President Biden and Vice President Harris, you will have you will have two of the three highest offices in the land controlled by people, not just from Cucafornia. But from San Francisco, California, you would have a vice president from San Francisco and you would have a speaker of the house from San Francisco. That is far too much power being aggregated out of one state, a state like California. I know people in California think that they're the most important place on the planet. They're not. Uh, the, the, the good, hardworking people of California are the weirdo university, Silicon Valley, uh, did maniacal 
uh, Holly weirdos. Uh, they are not the people who should be calling the tune in that state. And unfortunately, it's exactly inverted. Workers, producers, people that get up every day, follow the rules and live life properly are the people that ought to be calling the tune in California. But instead, we have California. And if, if, if you have any doubts about it, head on over there and, and watch the rolling blackouts. Look at their inability to extinguish uh, 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 fires in advance by, by doing uh, the cutting that is necessary in both the state and the, for- and the national forests. Uh, look at their weird environmentalism that lets them dump out trillions of gallons of water to help the Delta smelt. This is a state that purposely made the uh, the Central Valley, which which could feed the entirety of the United States, basically with produce, uh, become fallow because DiFi wanted to protect the Delta smelt. It's a state where every bad idea in modern American politics has come from. And, and I'm absolutely serious about it. You know, you know, Ronald Reagan's great regret about California. And I'm going somewhere with this. Don't worry. Uh, Ronald Reagan's greatest regret about being the governor of California is that he, he approved no fault divorce. He said that, like, actually, uh, he, he, he lamented that fact. And I'm not sitting here casting judgment on, 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 on divorce, but the fact of the matter is every bad idea has come from California. Uh, the crazy environmental schemes that are out there. Now, that is a state that's got Hollywood and Silicon Valley, and they don't have enough electricity because they have one nuclear power plant because they closed the one in San Diego because people we're using the nuclear power. I mean, it's it's really insane. So here comes Speaker Pelosi, somebody who has afflicted the American people for far too long. This is her second run as the speaker. And yesterday, she she makes this pronouncement that really had me wanting to do a uh, a well-being check. Uh, I think we were entering into some pretty freaky territory. Here was this was Speaker Pelosi just uh, Thursday talking about what she was going to do to the president. We're going to be talking about the 25th Amendment, but not to take attention away from the subject we have now. Do you think it's time to invoke the 25th Amendment? I'll talk to you about that tomorrow. I'll talk to you about it tomorrow. I'm not talking about it today, except to tell you, if you want to talk about that, we'll see you tomorrow. Is that is that somebody really in full command of their faculties? And I'm, and I'm being serious when I say this, because if you watch that video clip, it was on the news constantly. If you watch that video clip from Speaker Pelosi, you, you saw her in this bizarre mask. It looked like I couldn't tell if it was oranges or peppers cut in half. Uh, but she had this weird orange. She had an orange outfit on and orange. I think it was oranges. I think she, I think she had a, a mandarin oranges on her on her uh, mask. And she got so irate when the guy asked the question, are you going to are you going to use this 25th Amendment against the president? She she pulled her mask down and went to take a sip and got so mad that she put the mask back on and never took a sip. And she was uh, like one of these crazy old people in the supermarket yelling because the bread isn't quite soft enough. I mean, it was really crazy. This is crazy time. This is Looney Tunes. Can you imagine if she wakes up on the wrong side of the bed and President Biden is President Biden, he wakes up on the wrong side of the bed and they just start start to, it, it's just bizarre. I mean, really, I, I do not believe in term limits in the abstract because I think term limits have given you one party rule in a lot of states. But I do believe there ought to be age limits inside the House and the Senate. I, it's seriously, if, if you are, uh, if you hit 80, you're done. And I don't care if you're the greatest. I don't care if you're George Washington plus Lincoln plus Reagan plus. I don't care. 80, you're done at 80. The maximum age you ought to be serving in the House and Senate is 80 years of age because you are clearly disconnected from from the nuances and mores of the world in which we live. But today, 
Friday. If you're listening to this uh, on another day, this is the seventh edition, the seventh episode of our 30 episodes in 30 days effort to document the twists and turns of this electoral process. If you're listening, you may have heard or you probably missed the exposition done by Jamie Raskin from Baltimore. And why do I why do I say it like that? Because, you know, he was an impeachment manager. He was very excited to be part of the impeachment, but they never picked him to be actually one of the managers to deliver the goods in the coup d'etat over Ukraine. And so uh, she brings out Jamie Raskin and she says, we're going to have people be experts and look at the well-being and the mental f- faculties of the president and uh, whether or not he can carry out the duties. And everybody's going, whoa, this is getting serious. It's like a nuclear option against Donald Trump. And then she says in the at the conclusion of her remarks this would of course kick in with the next president oh you know what i think we just found out hold on a second let me do this let me do this math i think we just found out that speaker pelosi either a knows trump's going to get reelected and wants to hamstring him early or b knows that uh, joe biden is in fact non-copus mentis Non-compass mentis? I'll have to brush up on my Latin. But clearly she's telegraphing something. So she brings out Jamie Raskin and she goes, he's a very good constitutional professor, a professor of constitutional law in Baltimore, and he's going to come out and explain. And then that was the moment at which uh, immediately everybody cut away from the news conference because people said, we have given uh, enough time on live television to the speaker's corner there in London where crazy people stand on a milk crate ranting about uh, the, the moon is made of green cheese and, of course, the, the, the earth is hollow. But very serious, deadly serious discussions going on now. You have, of course, the, the, the moment uh, from yesterday where you watched the takedown of these so-called extreme right-wing maniacs who were attempting to overthrow the government of Michigan and kidnap Gretch Whitmer except we're starting to learn stuff about some of these guys, including the dude with the giant earlobes. Have you seen the guy with the giant earlobes? They're hanging all the way down, like, to his to his chin. He, he's one of those guys that puts the wheels. You see these kids, they carve out a hole, and they put the wheels in their earlobes so that they walk around like, a, like, a, like they got a couple of jumbo pieces of chewed bubble gum hanging out of their ears. You, you, you see these guys. Well, if you look at his video... And I don't know if I can play. I think he swears in it, so I don't want to really offend anybody. Even though we're not on broadcast, I just I don't want to offend anybody. Uh, this this guy is really quite something. He's got an anarchist flag in the shot behind him. I don't know any John Birchers, conservatives, Newt Gingrich type right wingers that are that 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 are about the anarchist flag. I just I, I'm I'm really I'm burning my brain trying to think about it, but I don't know anybody who does that. So so I think the jury may still be out. This this could just be thirteen kooks. It could be it could just be 13 kooks, but that didn't stop Joe Biden from immediately running out to the tarmac in Phoenix, Arizona and uh, to blame it on Trump. Here it goes. This is something to be concerned about. And you saw what the head of the FBI said a couple days ago. He said the greatest terrorist threat in America is from white supremacists. Why can't the president just say stop? Are, are we back to last week? Mr. Vice President, are we are we are we back to last week? Because I remember last week when when you were saying that the president has never renounced white nationalism, and then you 
he came out and renounced it like a bunch, and then you moved off of that, and then now you're back on the president supports white nationalism. He, I, I don't, I don't think he does. Uh, I really, I think he's been abundantly clear. There's a lot of audio clips you can find it anywhere uh, that involve him saying uh, no on the Nazis, uh, no on the white nationalists. Now, the thing is. We can all agree that when you're in the public light and the public arena, you're going to have lunatics attracted to you, right? I mean, that that much is is true. But but Joe Biden, you may have picked you you, you may have uh, you may have picked the wrong candidate, the 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 wrong candidate to uh, to be your vice president. You may have picked absolutely the wrong candidate to be your vice president uh, when, when when you did what you did. Because if you wanted to have somebody that was really willing to be, to be your, your six o'clock, your 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 protector, your you know wingman, you should have gone with Gretch, because Gretch was just nakedly partisan. I get she's upset. I've had her on my show, on my broadcast show on News Talk Eleven Ten Ninety Nine Three WBT. I get why she was mad about these wackos coming to try to kidnap her. That's horrible. They ought to do all the time that they have coming their way under the statutes. But I, I mean, listen to this, Joe Biden. You're, you're you're a piker compared to the way Gretch went for this. Listen to this. Just last week, the President of the United States stood before the American people and refused to condemn white supremacists and hate groups like these two Michigan militia groups. Stand back and stand by, he told them. Now, that's how you deliver a smear. That's how you, 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 you tie the president directly. And, and of course, nobody's going to no one's going to believe it. No one's going to buy it. Uh, you, you cannot hold the president accountable for the actions of crazy people in the same way that Steve Scalise did not go on TV endlessly and blame Bernie Sanders for the guy who tried to murder him on the ball field in 2017. Uh, well before uh, any of the other kookery that was uh, busting out uh, out there around the country. I mean, the early adopters, when it came to targeting politicians for violence, the early adopters really were the people on the left. Does anybody uh, remember the the famous declaration by uh, Maxine Waters? I will go to the White House and take him out tonight. If you see these people... In public, in a department store, at a gas station, you make a crowd, you make a crowd and you surround them and you tell them that they're not welcome in this. That is some pretty, pretty nasty language. I think any politician ought to be talking policy. I don't think politicians ought to be uh, working the crowd up. I thought it was wrong uh, when when politicians try to get the street mob all agitated just in the same way that I thought it was wrong when Rashida Tlaib said she was going to DC to impeach the MF or all that sort of stuff has no place in our politics and 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 street violence unfortunately is a modern reality now brought to you since 2015 when uh, street violence pr- producers were welcomed at the White House and and you you've you've seen cops shot seven killed in Dallas once upon a time uh, back in 2016, and you've seen uh, property destroyed. I think it's important for all politicians to make it clear where they stand on the lunatics, that they're not welcome, they're not wanted, and they're not going to be tolerated. Can we get there at all? I think we can. Seriously, I do. No, I'm not joking around. I'm serious. I'm Brett Witterbull. You're listening to the seventh episode of 
of Devious Motives. You're listening to Devious Motives. Welcome back. I'm Brett Whittable. It is the Devious Motives podcast. This is episode number seven. And I want to uh, pivot off of the, the domestic sort of trial stuff. I, I'll do some court packing and Cal Cunningham and that kind of stuff in a little while uh, to kind of wrap things up. But I want to dive into a part of the narrative, a part of the territory that we're not hearing a whole lot about. And it's hugely important. It is, are you ready? Foreign policy. Yay, foreign policy. Now, truth be told, I am a foreign policy geek. I love foreign policy. I love international affairs. Let me let me restate that because I'm a happily married man. I like reading about international affairs. No, see, I'm not doing it right. I think international relations. I, see, I can't say international affairs or international relations because it, it sounds tawdry. You know what I'm talking about, though. Foreign policy is a hugely important topic, and it's one that is con- consistently overlooked. It's it's left over like the uh, like the second to the last child in a five child family. Uh, you you got the baby, you got the oldest, you got the couple of middles, and then you you're leaving one in the mix that you forgot to take with you to Disneyland. You 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 need to have a strong grasp on foreign policy. Foreign policy is vital. It's important. We are an interconnected global world. We're an interconnected globalist world. We are an interconnected uh, all, all that sort of stuff, right? We are. You know we are, and I know we are. And this to me, this to me is is perplexing in the extreme. So I was watching earlier today, and I could subject you to all of these clips, but I really don't want to do it because if you want to go search it out, you can find it on YouTube. NBC News did a package earlier today. This is Friday, if you're listening on another day. Uh, NBC News did a piece on Vladimir Putin's role in this election. And it, you would think, oh, okay, here we go. It's Russian collusion again. And what is he doing? But what they were basically saying, and it was a really, you know, one of these super smart uh, correspondents. He had an English accent. That's what makes him smart. I've, I've said for a long time, and many of you believe this, if you have a British accent and, and you read gobbledygook and gibberish, people still think you're saying something profound. But, but the fact is, uh, this, this British correspondent for NBC News was talking all about Vladimir Putin, what Vladimir Putin is doing, how things are playing out, etc. And they, they essentially only interviewed Democratic Party members of the House and the Senate to talk about how dangerous Vladimir Putin is. I do not like Vladimir Putin. I think Vladimir Putin is a dirty duck. I think he is a dirt bag. I think he represents a danger for us in the world. He's he's gone on an absolute tear when it comes to to, to supporting uh, insurgencies around the world. I mean, it's very he, he he's a KGB guy who came out of the the Soviet mix. And he doesn't change those stripes very easily, except for the fact that he's the king dude taking bribes in Russia now. Okay, it used to just be the the KGB generals and the the people in the uh, Politburo that were getting paid. Now he just soaks up all the money. But but he's still essentially uh, he's still essentially from his mindset he's a communist, and that's that's not an unfair statement to make by any stretch of the imagination. So Vladimir Putin. You know, we know what he's done with poisoning his rivals. We, we know what he has done when it has come to uh, uh, backing horrible dictators. I mean, he's he's shown love and support for everybody from the Castro brothers to, of course, Maduro and, and right on over to uh, Assad. So he's not a good guy. He's a he's a terrible guy. But but because he's a terrible guy doesn't mean doesn't mean we shouldn't talk to him when we can. Remember, it was Barack Obama who, who declared to Mitt Romney, 
Uh, the 80s called and they want the foreign policy back because you're too tough on Russia. Now all these people have become born again Russian, Russia haters. Hillary Clinton went over and tried to do the reset. Unfortunately, in Cyrillic, the words that were written on the reset button were overcharge, as if she were saying to them, go ahead and overcharge us. There's one president in the last decade that has given the Russians a warm water port in the Mediterranean, and that would be Donald, not Donald Trump. It would be Barack Obama when he invited Vladimir Putin to go into Syria to secure the chemical weapons that Assad had been deploying. When's the last time you heard about Assad deploying chemical weapons against his people? Does anybody remember when that was? Um, I'm going to go back in time to, I believe it was 2017. He did it a couple of times. We hit him back with cruise missiles. I don't think Assad has done a mass chemical weapon strike on his people since. But, but, he's a danger. Putin. Putin's a danger. Because he represents the ability to go in and stir it up. Now, allegedly, he's come out in the last number of days and said that he he could work with uh, Vice President Biden. He thinks that if uh, a President Biden would be an administration, he could do business with. This guy will do business with whoever is in charge in the United States, and he will continue to be a dirtbag. Here's the thing about this news package that ran on NBC News. They went and they interviewed nobody but Democrat senators and Congress people. They went and they interviewed Gene Shaheen, the voting machine. They went and they interviewed uh, uh, Coons from Delaware. They went and interviewed Andy Kim. And every one of them told the boogeyman story of Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin has, has, not, has not been successful in destabilizing us completely. He, he's tried to make trouble. He has tried to, to stir things up. But America right now's fundamental challenge is COVID, coronavirus, etc. And that was delivered by the Chinese. And for whatever reason, as much as people on the on the left will say, Donald Trump's got a blind spot when it comes to the Russians. American Democrats have a blind spot when it comes to the Chinese. And it's not Vladimir Putin who delivered uh, 200,000 deaths as a part of the coronavirus. It's not Vladimir Putin who had our economy shut down. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what people like Adam Schiff and Swalwell and uh, Pelosi and Harris and Biden would be saying if Vladimir Putin uh, was was provably responsible for the coronavirus. They'd be lobbying to go to war with him. And, and they would know that we would not go to war with him because he's a nuclear-armed country and we are a nuclear-armed country. But they have a blind spot when it comes to China. Why is that? I, I think it's because of the, 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 the trade deals. I think it's because of the amount of influence China exercises in this country. You, you heard my interview yesterday with Ryan Morrow on episode six talking about the covert cash that sloshes around inside universities. And you and I both know the the hub and the spoke system of the resistance in America today has transferred out of the intelligence community and gone pretty much to the universities, the street agitators, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, etc. Those all find fertile, fertile, fertilized ground uh, there in the university system. China and Russia are going to represent two challenges we have got to deal with no matter what. And I would hope, even though Mike Pence tried to do it back at the debate on Tuesday, Wednesday night with Senator Harris, I would hope somebody would ask for specifics on Russia and specifics on China. Because when you ask for specifics on things that the, the Biden-Harris ticket are not comfortable about, you know what you get, right? You know what you get here? 
Let me let me depart for just one quick second. Let me depart for one quick second and, and go over to what you get when you try to push them on a hard issue. They'll know my opinion of court packing when the election is over. Now look, I know it's a great question, y'all, and I don't blame you for asking. But you know, the moment I answer that question, the headline in every one of your papers will be about that. Other than, other than focusing on what's happening now. Except, Mr. Vice President, that that's what everybody's talking about in the newspapers right now. But okay, I don't, I don't want to jam you up. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if? Um, can you imagine if the president, or the vice president, or Vice President Biden, or Senator Harris, took those positions on things like abortion, health care, uh, the vote, voters' rights, uh, Violence Against Women Act? Uh, same-sex marriage, uh, Russia, China, I- Iran, uh, ISIS. You would you would not be happy with that. You'd say, wait a minute, hold on. There's an election. You've told us people are already voting, but they, they may be voting with an incomplete, an incomplete piece of knowledge on your position on court packing. So will somebody please go and talk to these guys about the foreign policy and the foreign affairs and the international affairs and the international policy that we are going to do in, in the rest of the world. I understand that the, there, there's two orientations that are kind of uh, banging heads right now. The two orientations in the world of foreign policy are uh, people that want to have a, a truly internationalist approach and people that want to have an America first approach. The America first approach has been mislabeled, missold as America alone. We haven't left NATO. We, we haven't uh, uh, retreated in the face of strategic challenges. We haven't refused to talk to uh, nations around the world. The president has spoken to Kim Jong-un. He has, he has spoken to, to pretty much every, every country in the world and has even said at different times that he would have conversations with the mullahs in Tehran, but they got to give up their nuclear weapons program and, and they've got to forswear using nuclear weapons. We have a complicated world. Yes, international cooperation is a great thing. I would submit to you, it has its limits. The proof of the limits of international cooperation are what we're seeing with the coronavirus. Pretty much each country is fending for themselves. Okay, each each of the nations that are out there are doing their own thing, fending for themselves and trying to uh, figure out how to fix this in the hopes that if somebody comes up with the answer, we can finally cure this coronavirus stuff that's going on. That's representing the limits of international cooperation. Uh, you, you hear these folks, especially the professionals in the diplomatic corps, in the uh, international affairs arena, you hear these people, oh, you know, since World War II, we've had an alliance with the Europeans. Sure we have, absolutely. And, and for... Uh, 45 years of that of that scenario for 45 years of that world that reality we were facing a very serious foe in the soviet bear across the border in eastern europe i mean that's yes we were doing that but then the wall came down and we found out there was a peace dividend courtesy of uh, bill and hillary and their their administration and we could suddenly not really pay so much attention to the international affairs stuff we could uh, pay attention to uh, affairs with interns Okay, that was a cheap shot, but it was funny. You, you, you now live in a world where we have all this talk of working together to fight climate change, 
All this talk of getting back into the Iranian nuclear deal, all this talk of of working together to change the world all for the better. Yeah. And that's all like super noble. And I love it. And that's great when you're a freshman in college and you really don't understand how the world works. The the true measure of failure when it comes to international cooperation is what's going on with China. Because if you've got a hundred, what is it? 135 countries, 140 countries that, that have been involved in this mess that is called coronavirus. What would happen if, and I get it, China's a member of the security council and they have the power to veto. I get it. I understand it. But what would the, what would the mission look like if you had 140, 120, 175, let's say 75 countries go to the UN and push through a resolution holding China to account for what happened by concealing the realities of the coronavirus. And I know this is an often repeated phrase on my show. Please don't be frustrated by it. It's important to find out what it is that happened. What do you think would occur then? You would actually have a reason to believe there is an international coalition. What we really have happening today in the world is a lot of lip service about international cooperation and very little getting done. And when you actually do have stuff getting uh, done, when, when we, when we uh, uh, do, that, um, do that sort of stuff, when we actually do negotiate deals, and by that I mean NAFTA, by that I mean the trade deals with the European Union that we're trying to push, the renegotiated relationship with China, that sort of stuff, what ends up happening is that old order gets very upset that they haven't produced many wins in a very long time, and they start to say that bilateral and unilateral agreements are bad policy. It's because they want to be a part of it, but they don't want to do the work. Th think about the World Trade Organization. Think about all, all these other institutions that are out there. Never talked about. You don't talk about the WTO. You, you don't talk about the cause for human rights around the world. You, you don't talk about the Iranian nuclear breakout. And when you see an agreement that takes place like the Abraham Accords, suddenly everybody gets together and goes, whoa, how'd that happen? It's because while everybody else is bickering about this and that, real foreign policy stuff is happening. It's an important topic, one that I promise we will continue to cover. In fact, uh, in the upcoming couple of episodes, I will address the pullout of Afghanistan and the battle against ISIS as well. These are all very important things that we need to be considering as we look out there across the landscape. That's going to do it for this edition of Devious Motives. I'm Brett Witterbull. We'll talk to you in Episode 8. Devious Motives with Brett Winterbull. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. 
everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS.